Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Brandon Rossbond. I'm Mark Barber. And I'm Mark Zylinski. Welcome to another episode of the Narrative Workshop. Today we have a special narrative workshop for you because we are here to celebrate the release of the very first Mantic Kings of War novel published by Winged Hussar Publishing. I am so excited today. And with us in the workshop today, we have Brandon Rossbond from Winged Hussar Publishing and Mark Barber, the author of our very first novel, Steps to Deliverance. And so, hey guys, welcome Welcome to the Narrative Workshop. So why don't we go ahead and catch up with what everybody has been doing, because it's been a while since both of you have been in the workshop. So, Brandon, why don't we go ahead and start with you? What's up at Wing Tassar? It looks like you guys survived Adepticon. Yes, thanks for having me on, Mark. It's always a pleasure to be on Countercharge. Uh, Adepticon was great. We had a really great time. As I've said several places, Mantic Night was a really awesome time. I'm really glad to have met a lot of people in the community face-to-face. You know, you go on the Facebook groups and the After Dark groups, and you see so many of these names, and it's like people I recognize. And then to put a face with them was a really cool experience. So, yeah, Adepticon was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun walking around, a lot of good sales. Uh, Adepticon is always a very positive experience for us. Since I've been back, been working on a couple novels, getting those things into place. Our next Kings of War novel, after Mr. Barber's novel, is going to be Ben Stoddard's novel, that uh, Drowned Secrets. That's going to be fun to work on. I can't wait for that. I've heard so. There's a couple people in the community who have read little things about it, and I'm excited based on their feedback to get to it. But that is going to be a little down the line for me still while I catch up on some of the other projects. Yeah, Ben has been uh, soliciting a couple of people to kind of give it a read-through, Brandon, so uh, hopefully he'll be sending you a nice quality product, and it will not require a whole lot of editing on your end, and it can go straight into production, right? (laughs) In a perfect world, I'd like to say yes, but even the most talented of authors, there's always something that has to change to adhere to our standards to match all of our other novels. And even at that, you know, there's little things that one author might know that another author might not know, so there's always little tweaks that I'm throwing into these novels. Novels. I, I the day that I get a novel that needs no changes at all, I might be out of a job at that point. There you go. See, you got to put in that editing. You got to justify your existence, uh, Brandon. So. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And speaking of authors, Mark Barber is with us here in the Narrative Workshop today. So very nice. Well, it's been probably about nine months since you've joined us in the workshop, Mark. So why don't you catch us up on uh, the Mark Barber story? Wow, nine months. Um, it's flown by in a way, sort of has, sort of hasn't. Finished writing a novel. I've been one of the guys who's been reading Ben's stuff, which has been has been really cool. So yeah, the, the day jobs had me out of the country for uh, for several months, which has kind of been quite good for the writing side of it because it's been cool to see different places of the world and uh, and kind of throw that part into the writing. Working with uh, the other guys at Winged Hussar as well, uh, I think one of one of the uh, the best parts of the, those last few months has been we've all been kind of comparing notes on what we're up to. So instead of us all working independently. Whilst all all the authors, uh, and there's three or four of us working on stuff right now, we've all got very, very different styles. I think that's been clear to all of us. And um, and I think that's a really good thing. You know, if, if for example, uh, one of these novels that's coming out isn't maybe quite your thing, that doesn't mean the other ones won't be because they are stylistically very different. But we're very much a, a kind of united front as well. Uh, which has been cool because in the last few months we send each other snippets, the odd chapter here or there, uh, and there's just you know tiny little uh, tie-ins to say that you know as authors we are talking to each other uh, and seeing what the other guys are working on. So that that's been a lot of fun. That's kind of been in a, from the uh, the Kings of War side of things. Other than slowly trying to get better at painting, uh, that that's been the main contribution I think from the last few months. So what's up on your paint desk right now, Mark? 
paladins. <laughs> uh, when I came up with the plan to write this novel, the first thing I did was buy an army, uh, which, which sounds like um, maybe a bit of a silly thing in some ways, but it, it's just small things like the fact that uh, unless you own physically the miniatures, you're not going to notice that every paladin has a book chained around his waist. So uh, part of what I was doing with that is naming what that book is and saying what's in it and, and, and trying to add some, some canon to it. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I, I've, I've bought quite a lot of the uh, Basilean stuff uh, and some of the Vanguard stuff as well. I think the new models they're bringing out, you know, it's, um, it's leaps and bounds comparing the Mad at Arms, the old school stuff to the, the, the new stuff. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're miles better miniatures. So, so, yeah, I'm slowly trying to paint my way through that. And um, I've got a real soft spot for Dungeon Saga as well at the moment painting dungeon furniture and if you want any more dungeon furniture for dungeon saga just for anyone who's listening don't ever type that phrase in on ebay you'll be really surprised with what comes up i didn't realize stuff like that existed brandon you are didn't fall too far from the tree this steps to deliverance book has really inspired the wing to sar crowd here because what army did you pick up recently Mind you, before I got into reading steps to deliverance i always liked basileia i always thought it was a cool army i'm i'm, I'm very in anything fantasy, I usually pick the human race just because I, it's the one I can relate to the most, uh, obviously. So I looked at the Basilea army when we first started getting into Kings of War, and I'm like, oh, these guys look so cool. And then when Mark pitched the novel, I'm like, oh, please do it because I really want to see how this is going to turn out. So then after reading the novel, finishing, putting the finishing touches on it, and seeing the models that Mark named after the characters in the book, I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm pulling the trigger. I'm at Adepticon. I'm going to buy a Basilea army. It's sort of put together my friends and i actually just got into dungeons and dragons for the first time surprise surprise I, i'm very big into rpgs but this is the first time i've ever played dungeons and dragons so i've been painting up models for npcs and the like for that so that's been on my paint desk at the moment but the basilea army is slowly being built up so that's eventually going to be painted well, see, the key there, Brandon, is that you've got to paint up the Basileans so that you can add them in there into your D&D collection. That'll get your Vanguard Force painted very quickly. That's <laughs> and true. Then, uh, yeah, and then uh, the multi-basing work, uh, won't work out so hot. But see, what I try to do is, and what uh, actually I've had my son's D&D group do, is when they fight mass battles in D&D, they use the Kings of War rules as opposed to the mass battle rules for Dungeons & Dragons. So uh, that's how you can uh, put that big tie-in and then see, spread the love and get your D&D group to love Kings of War. Well, the seeds are already there. I've already established with a couple of them. I brought the box out. I'm like, this is Kings of War. This is Basileia. I opened my phone. I'm like, these are all the armies. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. So I have a couple of people who are going to start picking up armies. So that way we can start... Raising awareness of tabletop games uh, on the East Coast here, they're really – I touched about this at um, Adepticon, but there really isn't a lot of knowledge about tabletop games over where I live. I mean the the only hobby stores around here are Hobby Lobby, which sells you know craft things, and then there's uh, something called the Game Room Store. There's a, couple, there's a chain of that, and it used to sell tabletop games, but since then they've now become all man cave stores. I walked into one of the local ones – just on the off whim that they might have tabletop miniatures, and they looked at me like I had five heads, like, what the hell is tabletop gaming? We've got pool tables. What do you want? <laughs> so there really isn't a lot of awareness about tabletop games, so I'm trying to help spark that interest. Oh, that's fantastic news. See, so we should get you a Pathfinder uh, shirt there, and uh, but you've got enough to do, so... <laughs> You've got to be bringing us these wonderful novels. And this is why we're here today to talk about Steps to Deliverance. So this is the first novel. We're so excited. I have been on these airwaves just begging, pleading, and praying for this novel to come out and to have the Kings of War novels start. And, you know, we did get the anthology, and that was fantastic. But, you know, here we are with our very first novel. So the first thing we can say is I think it's coming out May 6th, right, Brandon? I'm not sure if this episode is going to air before or after, but we are going to have advanced copies. It's going to it's going to be out for general release at May 8th, but we will have advanced copies at Mantic Open Day on May 4th. So that way for the people – I know it's a little biased for the people in the UK, but hey, I'm over in the US. We thought it would be a nice tie-in to have Mant – since Mantic Open Day was around the same time, we'll say, well, hey – People attending Mantic Open Day can get advanced copies so they can start, you know, reading the fluff and getting excited for everything we have to come, getting excited for the novel and everything that goes on in there. So 
it, we thought it was a nice tie-in. It's nothing biased against us here that live in the U.S., just a, a nice little tie-in. Hey, what better place to launch the novel than at Mantic Open Day? So I think that's a nice touch. So that would be big, very, very excited. Of course, we'll be a little jealous, but it won't be long until we'll have it in our hot little hands. So I believe it's up for pre-order right now on Amazon, though, isn't it? Yes, it's up for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any big reta- book retailer. If you want to order it in person, just go there and say, hey, I want to order this book by Wing Tusser Publishing, by Mark Barber, and they can order it in store. I know I've tried it in the past. Not uh, we ha- We're still working on getting Barnes & Noble to stock our novels completely. Right now, it comes down to certain stores specialize in certain genres. So the stores that specialize in the sci-fi and fantasy genres will have it in stock. Otherwise, you can go and ask them to order it, and they will specifically order it just for you. Or you can order it from our website as well. All right. Well, that's very exciting. I can't wait. So, well... You're here. We have the author here. So what can you tell us about the book? You know, why don't you and Mark uh, give me, I'm not quite sure what I can say and what I can't say. So I'm going to turn it over to the professionals here. And why don't you guys let us know all about Steps to Deliverance. Well, one of the big things that I've been put, I've been repeating over and over again is that Mark has worked very closely with the community and like he was even saying with the other authors to really develop this product that I, everybody is going to find something that they can enjoy. From the author standpoint, I've seen nods to other, uh, the other novels. I've already found a couple of them. That I'm like, I think this is what this is referencing and it is very cool if it is. And with the community, there's a lot of really neat nods to the the community because ultimately this this whole community has been built up by the members in it so i know mark you went to the community on facebook and you said what do you guys want to see i know there's at least i I recognize one very prominently about a certain orc that you mentioned (laughs) yeah my my main background in writing before this has been in non-fiction and also rules uh, for some of the uh, other war game systems that are out there uh, and in that it is all about community engagement uh, you can't just say right i'm i'm going to add new scenarios new units and all that sort of stuff without finding out what people want and what they like and what they don't like so when it came to the fiction side of things i thought well can we apply the same principles so i went on the um the king's of war facebook group and said look here's me here's here's what i'm going to be working on very shortly what do you guys want what do you like what don't you like and so, so i had a, quite a bit of feedback from that and that was what guided the development of the antagonist uh, there was always going to be a bad guy but just yeah one guy wrote i really want to see things from the perspective of the bad guy so um yeah we, we get a lot from his point of view throughout it uh, and then when it came to a bit further in, I was thinking, you know, that some people just play a war game uh, and that's cool and, uh, you know, play it for the enjoyment. Some people get really immersed into the background of it and I've got a whole backstory for their army's general or, or whatever it might be. So I just, uh, again, stuck a note up on Facebook and said, does anyone want? their characters name dropping so they become canon it's not going to be a huge thing just a tiny little reference and so there's a few of those dotted around but i i then discovered the massive cult following that is Skullface the orc and it was like yeah we we've got to make him canon even if it is and it is just one line you know it's not like going down massive rabbit holes but there is a reference that he is a thing he is real uh, and he's out there and to be feared yeah, I saw that there was a lot of people wanting Skullface. So when I, I was reading through and I saw the name, I'm like, ah, he did it. He added him in. So uh, that was a really cool tie-in. But yeah, the, the definitely the tie-ins with the community have been really well done. And just the the characters themselves are really strong. And like you were saying, the, the antagonist, Dion, am I pronouncing his name right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I think so. Uh, that's one of the weird things. I've spent the last year and a half thinking it was Basilia, and um, it's like until you hear people say these words, they're just words on a page. So all of the stuff in Mantic, I've been kind of in my head mispronouncing. So however people want to pronounce the names, yeah, I I, I think it's Dion, but uh, yeah, well, let's go with that. As a quick aside, I also have been pronouncing it Basilia, and then after meeting everybody and they were saying Basilea, I've tried to temper it for this show so i'm saying basilea and not basilia you know but, i think i think it's basilia as well it reads like that <laughs> <laughs> but dion is a very good antagonist i mean it like you said it, it's through the eyes of the antagonist and things that you don't necessarily get to see when you're just reading a novel through the eyes of a protagonist 
and there's little things about his backstory and little things about going and experiencing the things in the abyss that really when you're reading this you you, you expect it to be like oh well here's this character but he's the bad guy and then you're like oh wow he actually has got this really deep story and i start to feel for him and there's betrayal and like questioning beliefs and it's like wow okay this guy is supposed to be the antagonist but i'm kind of rooting for him he, he's got a good calling going for him yeah i was i was trying to write i guess a lot of the stuff in the uh in the rule books which already exists which talks about the abyss and the fall to the abyss there's uh there's quite a lot of stuff in the dungeon saga stuff as well as kings of war and i was thinking well what would make a fundamentally good person uh, fall to the abyss you know it's, it's, it's got to be quite a journey and that was what i was trying to write that the opening of the book lays down what is a a very small but very important event and then we cut forward about a decade and this character's journey in that decade has uh you, you know seen him plummet from being a, a captain in the legion to uh to effectively being an almost like robin hood kind of character that he's a um an outlaw and a villain but is loved by the common man uh and and that's kind of where we we, we meet him again and where where the journey goes i guess one of the biggest questions i have for you that i haven't even asked you off the air is what do you find to be one of the biggest challenges in writing a novel like this? I mean, I know that you've written another fiction novel for us at Wing Custer Publishing before, but it, you know, primarily you do, like you said, the rules and the like game aspects of it. Where, what do you find to be the most challenging and even the most rewarding as far as writing a novel like this, especially in a fantasy universe? Um, it'll sound really stupid, but in all honesty, the storyline. The characters come relatively easy, um, and when I I, I did uh, fiction writing as a minor module at university, and uh, so we get taken through, you know, in terms of the, the the academics of how you how you stick a story together. There's there's different ways of approaching it, and um, one of the things that we were told is that you know, uh, looking at fantasy, uh, for example, you take an author like. Tolkien and there's a lot of theme in there there's a lot of uh you know the, the industrialization of the modern world uh the, the the negativity of the first world war a lot of that runs through Lord of the Rings and it's, it's a really big part of it then uh you get stuff like David Gemmell where it's very character based where all the characters in there are I would say arguably just a personal opinion the characters are a lot deeper than Tolkien's characters because Tolkien it's more about theme and plot and the the mythology behind his universes so there's all these different ways to approach it for me I've always preferred the character based approach so if I sit down to write a novel, uh, I think of the characters first. And then I've got this ensemble cast of all these different characters who are going to bounce off each other in, in good and bad ways. And then think, well, brilliant. What are they going to do? And then I've got to think of the plots. And that was, uh, that, that was what took a lot of head scratching. So when I, I set out to write it, I knew how it started. I knew all the people in it. and I knew exactly how it ended. But linking up the start to the end and, and taking the characters through that journey, that was the, the most difficult part. If you get the characters right, and you know they are just fictitious characters, but if you look at you know Arthur Conan Doyle, who who very much got the character right, and Sherlock Holmes, when he killed Sherlock Holmes, he got death threats because the the fan base loved the character that much. Uh, you know, I could never hope to emulate that success, but if you can get the character right, they almost write themselves. And uh, and that was kind of what was happening. Some of those characters, when I pitched it to Winged Hussar and said, here's what they are, ended up being very, very different just because of the, the way the story led it, I suppose. Well, I will say this. One of the things I, I love about working with you, Mark, and I've said it before, your characters are one of the best aspects of your novels. And everybody is three-dimensional. Everybody's got flaws and ambitions and aspirations and goals and they they're more than just names when i read this i can you know you describe every character i can see them perfectly in my mind's eye i know about their backstory i know about what they're trying to do i know where their goal is in the novel and everybody feels like a real person it doesn't feel like these just made up names it doesn't feel like you include somebody just for uh, to be random you know everybody's got a purpose and they're very visually well-defined, very fundamentally well-defined. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Um, yeah, the, 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 to me, uh, I, I'm kind of, I suppose most authors must do it. You, you try and write what you yourself would want to read. 
and it, it is all about the character. You can come up with like a really, really uh, complex, engrossing plot, but if the people going through it aren't interesting to you, then maybe you won't follow it as well. So for me, it was all about those characters and uh, and the flaws, as you said. Uh, I didn't want to make uh, any of the uh, the Mary Sue cliches of just here's a character who is perfect at everything. I wanted them all to have things that they really aren't very good at uh, and personality flaws so that they are like real people because, again, you know, none of us are perfect. So I wanted the characters to, to be like that. And, and likewise, with the antagonists as well, just have something positive in there so that they're not uh, comic book villains of just here's someone who cackles evilly and uh, and wants to end the world. Uh, I wanted a reason why they were, inverted commas, evil in alignment. And even try and paint the abyss from the abyss's point of view to say, you know, hang on, from the abyss's point of view, looking out, looking at the rest of the world, you know, we don't see it the way that you do. And uh, and almost try and give them a, a voice, although a lot of that is lies, as you find out later on. Well, I think that's also a very intriguing aspect is while the novel is primarily uh, Basilean, there is that touch of the abyss that I, I don't think most people really think about or, to, or expect to, to read about in a novel. And when you first pitched that idea, I was like, wow, that's actually a really cool concept is giving the abyss a voice because they are this big factor. I mean, we had this you know, this huge campaign of Edge of the Abyss, and then we had the novel, uh, the anthology tie-in where the abyss has erupted and, you know, they're – demonic but you know they're not chaotic there's a system there's an order to their evilness and while you said most of it is not true you know it's interesting seeing that little aspect of it that um when the antagonist does his thing in the abyss we we see this alternate world almost and the first time i was reading it i'm like that's a really cool idea and i didn't really I, i didn't think that these type of things were possible because I didn't think about it. But then when you put it, when you wrote it, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. I can see it. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of that was just my interpretation of, again, what's in the source books out there, because the um, it, it's very Dante-esque, the, uh, the seven circles and that sort of thing. And uh, th- there's a paragraph on each of them in what I was reading, so there was enough to kind of start to visualize and get an idea. But I also took away from reading from the source materials that whilst the, the, the rank and file of the Abyss are... Uh, there's maybe not a great deal to them. Certainly the people pulling the strings come across as very, very intelligent. And if you're that intelligent, then there's got to be a lot going on behind the scenes. And that was what I was trying to write in uh, in the secondary antagonist. Um, and when we meet him and start to see, we, we don't really see anything through his eyes, but he certainly speaks enough to, uh, you know, to, to kind of get an idea of where he fits in his chain of command, for want of a better word, and that there is that order to the abyss. And that whilst he's a, a powerful individual, he reports to more powerful individuals, and uh, and uh, and is just part of the hierarchy. And yeah, speaking of the source, you know, you brought up a very interesting. You reminded me of a very interesting point that I brought up to you during the editing process. Is there's a scene where one of the characters uh, is fighting a squad of abyssals, and she devastates most of them, and the rest of them flee. And I remember saying to you. Well, really, would I? I just don't see this sense of fear in demons. You know, you always see demons as this like all towering evil presence that doesn't flinch at evil, uh, that doesn't flinch at a, a show of power of any sort. But then your response was, "Well, they can flee in the game, so I don't see why not." And I thought about that. I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense, and that's an interesting characteristic and interesting interpretation of the rules and of demons in general. Is if they can flee in the game. Surely in the fiction, they should be able to flee as well, have a morale break of some sort. So I thought that was a really neat interpretation of the rules. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it, was, it was a tricky one to kind of justify because you're right. You'd, you'd almost think of them as just sort of being mindless, or like, like undead in the what have they got to fear? But they do have the ability to break in the game, which means they must have some sort of self-preservation instinct, I guess. And if the battle isn't going well, they, they can run. So uh, that, that was kind of why I went with it. I it, It's a bit of a risk. I guess, you know, some uh, a lot of other people might not interpret it that way. But um, yeah, I kind of figured that, you know, looking at their, their stats, uh, you know, there they are. They have the ability to run. So in this case coming across a character who's a bit of a powerhouse, then yeah, they they may well run. So let's talk about the setting a little bit. The setting is it basically takes place sort of around 
the main center of Basileia and in these mountains that uh, are border Basileia, correct? Yeah, it's, it's kind of most of it's in the north. Uh, so, so getting close to the abyssal scar, I mean, we sort of meet a lot of the characters in the capital itself. Uh, and, and then there's the long trog north uh for the campaign and uh, and how it goes so yeah a lot of it is uh in uh what i have made rural uh, northern basileia and the thing is everything is well detailed while still not focusing entirely on the landscape you know there's always like a little section of they looked out and they saw the Sea of Swan, and like it, that was a constant thing. Is I, I, I recognized you know, somebody is looking out, and they're seeing like positioning of where the sea is, and like the lighting aspect, and everything is. It, it's just such a brief note, but it tells you exactly where you are, and it shows you where they are in perspective to the general map of Mantica, and um, it, it's not hard, long paragraphs of detail about everything going on, but you you intertwine enough to make the reader aware of where they are, how beautiful the landscape is around them, and even the beauty in the darkness of the abyss. You know, there's a scene where in one of the circles, as I was saying before, it's just they're in this ethereal, like cloudy type place uh, that's like purple sky, I believe. It's just the way you wrote it is very, there's beauty in something so dark. Yeah, the the whole setting thing I thought was was really important, and um, yeah, there's other uh, uh, authors uh, who I who I speak to who there's there's differing views on this. Uh, one of the other guys who I spoke to said he uh, sometimes less is more, and if you leave the human mind to fill in the blanks, then it will fill in the blanks. But um, I don't know, I I kind of like a bit more description than that. So to say, look, here is the picture I'm trying to paint, and with uh, Basileia, there's just this one tiny bit we're really zoomed in on the map you know because we've got this whole world well continent of, of Mantica and this book just looks at a tiny tiny part of it part of that was I just um I, I wanted to really concentrate my research on just a couple of factions so that I could really try and dig deep into those and, and not have to so, so there's yeah, there's, there's nothing in there about for example the you know, the elves and dwarves and that sort of thing uh it is just looking at these two and also i think it'd be kind of selfish of me to say yep i'm going to write the whole world in this first one and everyone has to align to me so i, I just thought you know what i'll just do this tiny bit and uh that leaves 99 percent of the world for other authors to, to to kind of do what they want with and i'm not kind of hoarding it and claiming it as my own just this small corner of basileia right but then also you know that's the difference between you know, the short story anthology and your novel, I mean, while, while we had different people with different factions in the anthology, you know, it was a collection of short stories. So it the whole of the work was to detail different factions and show different aspects of the different groups in Mantica. But with the novel, you know, we want to try to focus on, you know, one or two specific factions and flesh them out, give people the the real history behind them. I mean... With yours, it was with the three we have coming out this year. It all focuses on Basileia in some form or another, but not entirely. I mean, yours focuses on Basileia and the Abyss, while Ben Stoddard's focuses on, like for example, the Trident Realms and Basileia, and Mark DeSantis's focuses on uh, Basileia, and then you know some of the other. I guess we can call it kingdoms of men so that way it focuses on some of the other uh people in the world of mantica that aren't necessarily all aligned uh, other humans that aren't aligned with basileia because there are other humans out in the world that aren't focused with that group so it's all about you know taking one or two factions and narrowing it in to get as much detail as you can yeah i think um it's hopefully fingers crossed it's worked well in that regard and with the um the dialogue that's gone on between us and you know ben has um has been sending me all his chapters and uh, it's it's really cool to see the way he's gone about things because it's not contrary to what i've tried to put across the two our two stories align quite nicely they don't cross over at any point but they complement each other but stylistically they are very 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 different and his if uh, if if people are, are more of a fan of the darker side of fantasy fiction, I, I could not put in more of a sales pitch for Ben. His is it's excellent and it is dark if you like that stuff. 
Mine's not. Mine's, uh, well, I don't know, I think, Brandon, you can probably describe it better than, than me. You're neutral. I know what I was trying to write, but what you're trying to write versus what the end product is can sometimes be a bit different. But uh, mine's a bit more um, Hollywood and pretty people and explosions and horse chases and stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the other side of it, uh, the, the other end of the spectrum, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> so, I, for me, from a personal perspective, I get into reading and writing as an escape from the real world and while i understand the focus on like game of thrones and walking dead and that type of the darker side of things i understand the interest in it and i'm not knocking it i think it's a little bit overplayed in today's media and because of the fact that i think too many people saw the happy ending as being too trite but nowadays we're there's so many dark things on in television and in media that it, the happy ending is almost becoming the rarity now and the dark mo- the ba- the miserable ending where everybody dies is becoming the new trite thing and i i get into reading and writing because i want to escape from all the other stuff that's going on in the world i mean you, you see there's just way too much going on everybody's got their stressors everybody's got things going on in their life that i th- i like to well, a story might not always have like that happy puppies and kittens feel. I like to go with a more lighthearted approach that has a happy ending in some way, shape, or form. Because, you know, when I'm investing time into watching a show or to reading a novel, I want to inve- I'm investing time in those characters too. You know, one of the things I hate is when you're playing a game or reading something and it just your favorite character dies. It's like, well. Why? I, I, you know, that's the guy I put to all my money on is like, oh, that's the focus of this. That's who I really connect with. And then when they're gone, it's just like, damn it. Now what? So I, I like having stories where, you know, when you introduce characters, they survive and they might have been changed for the better or worse. But, you know, they, they all make it through the end because these are the people you want to tell their story about. And, you know, I understand also the importance of character death to serve a purpose. But when you're killing characters off for no reason that serves no purpose at all, it I, it really soils the story in my eyes. When you, you introduce somebody just for shock factor, uh, we we worked with a gentleman years ago who wanted to do a line of novels with his purpose of I want to piss the reader off as much as possible. And Vince and I just kind of looked at him like, why would you want to do that? You know, you, you want to engage the readers. You want to make them enjoy what you're writing. Why do you want to piss them off? Oh, you know, I love Game of Thrones, and it's just – I love the darkness. I love just everybody dying. It's like why would you kill random characters off for no reason? It didn't piss your audience. It didn't make sense to me. So to tie that all in, Mark's novel is a lighter approach at the fantasy aspect that is Kings of War – but, you know, it, it it's still got its horrors. It's still got its reality. It's still got the darkness of war and those implications about what the aftermath of war entails. Mark's background, you know, he one of the reasons why I like war, working with Mark on these tabletop novels is Mark has a really good background of understanding what goes on in an actual war and those ramifications about what goes on. And I think that real world insight dropping into the fantasy aspect is really key to understand you know, what actually goes on in these type of situations. Well, you know, Mark, you're not a, a paladin on a horseback. You still have that understanding about battles and war and military. And that's really important. You know, taking that combined with a, a slightly lighter approach to things instead of just blood and gore everywhere and everybody dies, it, it tells a good story. And the like I've said before, the characters are very rich and in-depth, and when all tied together, it really makes this novel that, you know, whether you play the game or whether you want to just read a fantasy novel, you'll be able to enjoy it because there's all these things that you can find interest in. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, one of the guys survives, doesn't he? I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without giving too, too many spoilers away. Yeah, they all die at the end. It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> no, no, um, but I, I'm of the same school of thought with that, I think. Uh, with, without, I, I don't think it's given too much away because i think uh, I, I agree with the way you've described it that um it, it isn't game of thrones it isn't the red wedding and and all of that kind of real darkness to it that i, I haven't tried to go down that route that's that, that wasn't it's not really the sort of um approach i'm into but uh yeah there's uh there's a significant body count there are yeah 
uh, and for those characters who do survive, which certainly isn't all of them, um, it's it's a it's a kind of a dark journey for a lot of them. And and I know we had the the, the ending to it got edited a bit because um, it, it did uh, kind of focus on the uh, the real negatives of the the mental health implications of being exposed to conflicts for a long period of time and what it does to people. And yeah, I totally see where Brandon was coming from, saying, "Well, uh, yeah, okay, that's a thing and that's a real thing, but maybe having a slightly more uplifting ending." I think we we compromised on something which was a little bit more positive, but still had the impact of saying war's a bad thing, and uh, you know we, we're not trying to say it's all uh, fun stuff and uh, and you know the, the stuff of 1950s propaganda movies. It, it, it isn't that approach. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's got its dark moments. It has its body count, but um, it's yeah, it certainly isn't the uh, the stuff which is more typical uh, of, of of the fantasy genre at the moment, I guess. So one of my speaking of which, one of my favorite death scenes. I'm not going to name any names, but there's a succubus that lures one of the characters out of a defensive position and pretends to be a young girl. And the way that you describe her mauling this character, I was like, yeah, there's there's just enough of the the dark fantasy that'll get people like, oh, that's great, that's bloody, that's gory, that's gonna that's a hell of a death scene. Yeah, um, I think if, if you've got the abyss as the bad guys, you've got to do some of that. You you really have to, because it's not like you're pitching dwarves against elves where you've got not that perhaps in this. Uh, you know, that's that's probably a bad example. But kingdoms of men, as say uh, a neutral faction, could be facing a good faction. But ultimately, they're not kind of prone to malicious atrocities. Whereas I think if any faction are, it's the abyss. They're literally from hell, so. If they get their hands on you, you know it's it's a really bad thing, which is why you, for some of the characters who get captured and are, uh, you know, being systematically executed, it's not death is a release. It's once you're dead, you're going to hell. So they are a very, very, very dark uh, faction to chuck in there, which has got its own challenges in writing because you, you've you've got to. You've got to still kind of write them in a way that, again, as I was saying earlier, they're not just comic book villains cackling. It's trying to bring that faction across is that they're full of that malevolence and that that has to come across in who they are, that that they're not going to be the sort of faction who, when they take prisoners, will sort of say, "Okay, well, you you gave it a good shot. You go home and, and don't do that again and have a think about what you've done. They are. If you are captured by the abyss, it's the stuff of nightmares. And I think you've got to put that across in how you write them. And that's actually uh, there is a scene you have that there are some captured uh, prisoners and that the the horror and the tension in that scene is very palpable. And I think it's very well written. It's one of those aspects that, you know, you can't have a novel where the bad guys aren't going to have some leg up and you get to that point and It's just like, oh, man, no, what's going to happen to these characters? And then when you describe when you're dead, you're dragged to hell. It's like, oh, no, what is going to happen? So it, you do a really good job of explaining that and setting the tension. Yeah, I'm, we're not doing a good job here of saying it's on the lighter side of fantasy, are we? We're just talking about... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't Sorry. we talk a little bit about that, Mark? What, what are some of your favorite lighter aspects of it? I think the overall theme that I think it is just... I, I tried to write a classic fantasy story about good guys fighting against evil. And the paladins, the two paladins in it, whilst they've certainly got their flaws, uh, I, I liked writing both of those. Uh, we've got one guy, uh, Tancred, uh, who I actually based on a um, account I read of a American army officer in the Vietnam War, whose parent, uh, whose father was a politician, and he basically said to this guy, I can, "You can." Uh, that there is a way to get you out of the Vietnam War. But if you go and if you do a year, that will give you such credibility that your career in politics is absolutely assured. And that's that's kind of the approach I went with with Tancred, that he's a paladin because uh, his father is a senator and he wants his son to carry on that, uh, that having political power in the family and sees doing a, a few years as a paladin as, as a way to do that. And his, his son um, has very much fallen for that and is very, very, very politically ambitious and is quite shrewd as a result. Uh, so he was a, a kind of fun character to write, but also when he uses that for good, when he goes up against a, uh, a dictator 
over the uh, in terms of interrogating a village which may or may not have some information and he uses his kind of uh, dark political powers for for good uh, so it, it was good to kind of it was fun to write that sort of stuff and then there's Orion as well who's arguably the main character in an ensemble cast who's kind of your classic I suppose bullied kid at school who then one day has an event which changes his entire life and so he changes fundamentally who he is uh, and kind of does a bit of a Ryu from Street Fighter 2 and becomes this wandering world warrior of I now must be the uh, the best fighter and gets you know bigger and stronger and, and loses focus as a result so in terms of as a paladin his, his the other areas which are just as important to paladins that they're not to Orion he's he is a one-trick pony he is all about the fighting and a lot of this novel is about his realization that there's a lot more to life and there's a lot more to his responsibilities as a, as a paladin and and kind of come in full circle again or at least starting the journey and attempting to come full circle to becoming a better person i want to get to orion in a minute but tancred it definitely he has one of the most interesting character developments and I really liked him as a character about how he started off this cocky, like, you know, you don't really care for him when you first read him. But then as the book goes on, you really warm to him. And it, like you said, he his power, uh, quote unquote, power and stature he uses to help the group that he doesn't necessarily want to lead. And he comes by the end of the book, you're really rooting for his character and you see this complete turnaround and kinship with the other members that's really strong and he's one of the that's what i was saying about like uh, character development it mark is that he's got one of the best character developments that out of your characters is because he goes from one character and the end he goes to a completely different character and even in the very end not going to spoil anything he has one final battle internally that he overcomes which is a, a nice ending to his character arc orion is I don't I clicked to him because of because of what you said like I I kind of knew once you read the opening prologue you kind of know that this story is going to be about him for the most part and you you see his change in development and then like you said there's 10 years between the prologue and chapter 1 and you see how much this young kid has changed and you're like oh come on what happened something happened we know what happened but we got to get him back on that path you know we got to get him back to being a good guy because he while he's kind he's not necessarily quote unquote good because as you say he's kind of lost some of the aspects about what makes a paladin a paladin and he, this is kind of a as the novel goes on it's a self journey to try to revisit that innocence he once had and that that character he once had and one of my favorite sections is an oath to dungeon saga is Orion has to kind of the group comes to an impasse. They have to find a way across this mountain and him and this other character go into the catacombs in a very dungeon saga esque approach to try to get to the other side to help put the bridge back up and it, everything about it. Like I, I haven't, I haven't done my research as much as dungeon saga as I've been so very focused on knowing everything about Kings of War. So reading this, I instantly went, oh, this is that Dungeon Saga nod. I know he was going to do something like this. And it was very cool seeing these two characters go through, like, uh, without spoiling much, go through an approach of, you have this whole novel about the army, and then all of a sudden it breaks down to these two characters exploring the catacombs. And it's like, oh, this is such a cool section. It's such a cool takeaway that you, you, you're you not defocused from the rest of the novel, but you're interested in this like little mini one-chapter subplot that helps further explore both the characters' backstories and flesh out what's going on. Yeah, the Dungeon Saga stuff. I, I, I love Dungeon Saga. I, I, I play it with my son. Uh, I think it's a brilliant game. And um, there's the... The, the rules between Dungeon Saga and Kings of War, whilst they don't necessarily disagree, they, they present different facets. Um, and that was, that, that was tricky in, in places uh, because uh, what one character can do in Dungeon Saga, if you put that sort of character on the Kings of War battlefield, they will not be able to replicate those feats because it's, it's a different game and it's aimed at different things, even though it's in the same universe. But uh, doing the Dungeon Saga stuff was good fun and having a little bit of undead chucked in there and nods to the Dungeon Saga rules about, you know, if uh, 
if you hit a skeleton with a certain amount of force in Dungeon Saga, um, you're you're only going to turn them into a, a cardboard uh, pile of bones, and that can then get reanimated quite easily. And so having that, putting that mechanic into the in, into the narrative of the story was was quite good fun. And and having all these little nods to a set uh, to a separate game. Well, I think that also led to one of our conversations with Mantic. Is um, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you had discovered in the Dungeon Saga, Paladins had the ability to use healing magic to an extent and divinity magic, but that doesn't really translate to Kings of War. Am I correct? And that's one of the big discussions we had with them? Yeah, that's right. A Well, well Paladin as a profession in Dungeon Saga isn't a, uh, right, you're a Basilean Paladin. It, it's just a paladin and even though we don't really see that word crop up in the rest of kings of war it's there as a a profession choice in dungeon saga so technically you could be a dwarven paladin so but but taking that a paladin is someone who knows divinity magic and that the ability to heal your own wounds is one of the absolute basics in dungeon saga for divinity magic it is almost impossible for a dungeon saga paladin not to have healing magic so therefore, I, I was fielding the question then, does that mean paladins know how to heal themselves and have that ability? Because they other units in Kings of War do, but paladins don't. So how does it work? And we, we kind, of, kind of came up with a compromise that um, it, it's, uh, it, it kind of depends on which order of paladins. And so the order I've made up for the purposes of this story, they major on healing magic, uh, but it doesn't mean they all know it. It, it just means it's... In terms of their professional development, it's something which, which which may or may not occur, and so that's why we see quite a lot of the characters able to do it, but some to a much greater extent than others. So again, for example, Orion, because he has sacrificed pretty much every area of his professional development just to get good at hitting people with swords and lances, uh, his ability to use healing magic is, is is pretty pretty rubbish, whereas other characters are far better with it. Right, and that's an interesting thing because... Um... You know, most of the time when you think of fantasy-esque paladins in particular, I, what comes to mind is Final Fantasy for me because, I'm, you know, Final Fantasy is my favorite video game series. When I think of paladin in any of those games, I think of a knight with a sword and a shield who can use healing magic of some sort or holy magic of some sort. And when I look at the Basileans, I, the first thought that came to my mind is, oh, they look like paladins. And I don't know, and with the Elohi and everything – it just it sung to me that they that healing magic or divinity magic would go hand in hand when you have essentially angels quote that are part of your main army it just would make sense that they would have some sort of magic like that and you balance it very well in the novel in the sense that you know it's not one of and again this is one of those counterpoints with you know other medias like video games how do you justify in a video game where paladins can run around and heal you heal you heal you raise the dead do this how do you justify that in a novel and you do it very well in the sense that they need concentration and that they need – it doesn't fully heal a person to 100 percent of their status. You know, they, their wounds are closed. They, they can recover a little bit. If they have a broken bone, they can, they can recover that. But again, it takes some time, and they have to recover beyond just that. And it takes a toll on their you know, mental awareness. They can only do so much of it at such a short time. And in combination with that, I will say that you introduce a character about halfway through the novel, which I, at first I thought I was like, that's a bold choice to introduce a new character halfway through the novel. But he serves the purpose of basically the magic aspect of Basileia with war wizards and everything. You know, that's something that we definitely did not touch on in the anthology. And it's an interesting character to have a war wizard. And you introduce a character that is that profession and he sort of explains how, you know, a brief summary of how magic sort of works and once you can, you know, when you're magically attuned, what you can see and what you can feel. And I think that's also a very good counterbalance to the rest of the novel of you have most of these characters who are physically fighting that can have a little bit of divinity magic, but then you introduce somebody who can actually see the divinity magic in the works and see the flow and transfer of the that concentration as it leaves one person enters another person i think that's a really cool concept yeah it was um a uh, a far more difficult character to write because if you're writing about paladins there's a little bit of real world crossover and that you just look at the holy order knights from the medieval era so look at hospital as templars and whilst basilea has got a very different feel to uh western european holy orders th there's still something you can research there and go okay 
kind of here's my real world counterpart. Obviously, when it comes to wizards, you can't do that, and that that makes it a lot trickier. But it was, I, yeah, I wanted to kind of, uh, given how important a part of Kings of War it is, I thought it's, it's got to be in there. And if you want to describe magic, uh, rather than just saying, "Oh, here's someone on the sidelines watching a magic user do some magic, and there's some some you know smoke and flashes and things," um, I thought it'd be better to see it through their eyes, and also to see that the paladins that they're control of of magic that they're gifted amateurs at best compared to the professionals and that for the guys who've been through the colleges of magic and do this full time and that's their thing i I didn't want to write you know cliches of just flowing robes and beards and staffs and all that sort of stuff although now i said that i believe he does have a beard and a staff uh, never mind. He's got a staff, though, so that's that's, that's cooler. Well, a long grey beard. He doesn't have a long grey beard. He's yeah, got... yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a bit more hipster. Um, He's more so, yeah, Doctor Strange than Gandalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a better way of putting it. More <laughs> Doctor Strange than Gandalf. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I just thought it'd be good to sort of see it through his eyes, uh, and also given his specialization as well, and that it's uh, kind of that uh, you know control of the the air, the skies, the weather, all that sort of stuff. At least then if you've got a a grounding in the basics of meteorology and if you're going to strike someone with lightning, it's like, well, lightning comes from thunderstorms. What forms a thunderstorm? Okay, if you want to make a localized thunderstorm, then you need to know the ingredients of a real world one. And therefore, well, if you had a you know control over magic, here's how you'd do it. And here's how you'd manipulate the temperature and dew point and all that sort of stuff and the freezing level. And so you can, yeah, then try and make magic sound like more of a science and that these guys who are doing it, uh, it is supernatural. But there's also academics behind what they're doing. That's interesting that you say that because in you know nowadays at least, and everything that I read that involves magic or I watch, it basically does get summed up as magic is a science. I'm pretty sure in um, the latest Avengers movie that came out that Doctor Strange and Iron Man have a conversation that magic is a form of science. It's a uh, it's an interesting concept, but yeah, I mean everything. It, magic used to be this thing in fantasy that was like, it's unexplainable, they can do great things, and while there is still that little aspect of it, it, it there is a lot of science that goes into the thought of it now, and I think that just comes hand in hand with our understanding of uh, science and technology through the years. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, so um, Mark Barber, anything else you want to add in real quick? Anything you want to talk about before we do that? Uh, just summing up for me, has been it's been a real fun process to put it together. I really, really hope people like it, because that's what it's all about this whole thing has been to try and give the community the interested aspects of the community because you know the the fiction isn't going to be for everyone but for the guys who have been asking for it i really really hope this is what people have been waiting for and uh that's why there's been all the community outreach i suppose to try and as far as possible guarantee is what people have been looking for and uh, i'm just keeping fingers crossed now that this is what people want and i hope you enjoy it like ronnie was saying at uh adepticon for those of you who saw the the mantic knight video this whole thing is one universe that's going to be connected between the novels between the rpg between the the game everything is going to be intertwined and you know we want to make one big universe that everybody can appreciate and you know bring in fans ronnie was saying you know if you like novels the books will bring in people who don't necessarily know kings of war but they like the novels if you like uh role-playing games the rpg will bring in people who don't necessarily know kings of war but they like rpg so they want to try that you know there's other there's avenues that you know we're trying to get everybody to understand that beyond novel if you like novel that's great but there's this bigger universe that it ties into that is rich and filled with all sorts of interesting concepts when i first heard about kings of war you know i said like wow this is bigger than even lord of the rings i mean there are so many deep factions and different things that you know you can work with to make this rich world and i know there's all sorts of plans down the line to make this world ever expanding ever growing and it will be continuously just mantica will be going on for years and years i think i said on the last phone uh, last uh, podcast call i had with you mark Zelensky, that uh, we have at least our next five years planned out with mantic so um Novels are going to be around for quite a while. You know, we have no imminent plans to stop that I can that I can fathom. We keep getting new requests for novels from people, new pitches. So, I mean, we've got a lot of world building to expand upon and a lot of the factions to build out, working closely with the gentleman at Mantic to make sure that 
exists in the scope of lore while still expanding to make sure that people who appreciate a good novel can really just read it, pick it up and go, wow, I like the, the plot. I like the characters. I like the scenario, the scenery. I like everything about this. Other than that, I mean, you know, we don't want to spoil too much on this call. I mean, there's a million Mark and I could go on and on talking about this and the different things that went into this novel are different thoughts and ideas, but ultimately it comes down to uh, pick up the novel Check it out and enjoy it. There will I say listen to it because there will be an audiobook coming down the line. We uh, we've decided we are gonna do this in an audiobook. We just have to sit down with our gentleman that does it and you know make sure that everything is copacetic. But yeah, that will be coming down the line. So pick up this novel in physical, ebook, audiobook, whatever your preference is. Steps to Deliverance will be out by the very talented Mark Barber. And uh, Mark Zelensky, thanks for having us both on the show. Oh, no, it's been a complete pleasure. And I'm just so excited to hear that everybody is working together with this. All the authors are talking. I think that, you know, I, we've talked about stitching it together between the role-playing game, the novels, the game. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. And that's the best part because I'm getting ready to have Mark Langworthy on. And uh, we're going to be talking about the RPG. So very, very nice. And like I said, everybody pulling in the right direction, consistency and building the canon and the fluff is the best part. And, you know, getting the community involved, which is even better. So, you know, our own uh, Narrative Workshop member, Ben Stoddard, is out. Novel number two. How much better can it get than that, right? Well, I was going to say, Mark, just don't forget, you are also involved in this whole tying together process. Countercharge has been a big part of that as well. We are trying to keep Countercharge in the loop with everything and trying to bring, as we move along with the uh, the world building experience, we want to bring Countercharge with us and keep you guys in the loop as well. Because as I said, none of this would be uh, happening without the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey. I've even got that, uh, we even talked about that ghost writing for me, but yep, yep. <laughs> we'll see. I've got some ideas. I just don't, I'm just not a very good writer, so we'll have to see how it goes. But I have a particular character in Mantica that I want to bring to a series of novels. I've got a great idea for it. So hopefully things will slow down for me and uh, we'll get to sit down and talk about it sometime, Brandon. But Definitely. Very, very good. All right. Well, hey, why don't we go ahead and slide into a quick commercial break? We'll come back on the other side. We'll do shout outs and wrap up the show. We'll be back to countercharge after this brief message. Wing Tusser Publishing and Zemok Books is your one stop site for historical, sci fi, and fantasy gaming. Look for our novels that tie into some of the best sci fi and fantasy settings. Mantic. Antares, Blood and Plunder, and Martian Front. In addition, is a source for historical background and material for all your historical wargaming armies. Look for our book set, wingtosarpublishing.com, in all good booksellers. For listeners of Countercharge, check our website for special discounts on Mantic-related books. I'm Shannon Shoemaker, the 2018 Adepticlass Champion, and you're listening to Countercharge. And welcome back. All right. Well, I am so excited about this novel. I just can't. Uh, I just, just, I just can't. I just can't come up with words. I'm just really excited about it. this. Is like a dream come true for me. So the fluff is coming. And you guys mentioned that you know it's not for everybody, but I think in a way it is for everybody because it's just going to make Kings of War that much better. And one of the things we have are those little descriptions of the units in the rule book. And, you know, as the fluff keeps getting better and better and better, we're going to have like a page of fluff with each unit entry and artwork. And it's just going to be awesome. So this is it, folks. You are here on the ground floor at the beginning watching it grow. So, I again, I'm very, very excited about it. So, Mark, thank you for writing this very first novel and coming on the show today. So any shout outs? Uh, yeah, just a couple of quick shout-outs from me. Uh, first one is to the Facebook guys, to Kings of War Fanatics, just because um, I've, I've worked with a couple of different franchises now, and I've I got to say, hand on heart, happy to go on record, recorded and everything, to say that um, the guys on the Kings of War Facebook group have been the most positive, uh, the most supportive, and there's, you know, there's been not an element of flaming, it's just been a case of thanks for you know getting stuck into it and uh, and just sending a whole load of ideas a fair few of which have have used and have uh, have really developed the story so thanks very much to all of you guys uh, and also a little shout out to my son Leo who 
is not old enough to read stories about demons ripping people's limbs out of their sockets yet, but uh, he's been aware of the creative process and has helped me come up with some of the ideas in his own little way. And when he's old enough, hopefully he'll be able to read it. Uh, so a, a quick shout out to him too. Thanks very much. Very, very cool. That's <laughs> it's all about bringing the kids up in the hobby. And uh, yeah, you kind of modify it a little bit in the beginning. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very nice brandon again thank you so much for being part of this and uh bringing these kings of war novels to life without wing Tazar, none of this would happen oh it's my pleasure thank you for having me on the show mark it's been a fun experience so any shout outs today so I, again i i want to thank the uh, kings of war community for being so supportive and being such great guys you know i said it Several times, but you know, meeting everybody at Depticon was a really awesome experience. It's nice to to see the people we're talking with and doing these novels for. You know, it was a great experience meeting. You know, it was nice meeting all three Countercharge hosts for the first time. I've met you last year, Mark, but meeting uh, Rob and Jeremy was really cool. You know, if you guys like what we do, check out our other stuff. We have uh, several other tabletop lines. Um, we're doing novels, or we've done novels for Beyond the Gates of Antares. Mark Barber has actually written the first full novel for that as well um, called Markov's Prize. Uh, we have two short story anthologies for that. I'm actually in the process of editing the next novel by a gentleman by the name of Riley O'Connor. The name of that novel is going to be called The Sword and the Cipher. We have a series of novels by Scott Washburn who did the Halfling story in the anthology. He does the Great Martian War novels, which are really top-notch, one of our best sellers. If you like uh, War of the Worlds, it's uh, basically a spiritual sequel to War of the Worlds, dealing with the aliens, etc., etc. Um, we have a lot of other individual sci-fi and fantasy novels, as well as a load of history novels. I mean, we history novels, we have range of pretty much everything you can think of. Nowadays, we have our own even. Like, when we go to shows, we have our own section for Polish novels, which is a nice little thing, since we are a Polish company for the most part. My, you know, Winged Hussar references uh, Poland and the Polish Hussars. But um, always stay tuned to our Facebook pages and uh, check out our website, wingedhusserpublishing.com. Uh, on Facebook, it's Winged Hussar Publishing LLC and Zmock Books. We have a uh, Facebook group as well that you know people can post stuff in and talk to the authors directly. All of our authors are part of that group. So if you ever want to talk to an author directly, go join that group, and then you, know, you can talk with Mark Barber, uh, some of our other authors, uh, Robert Waters, Scott Washburn, Riley O'Connor, uh, everybody who's published for us in the past is in that group. You can ask us, me and Vince, questions if you have anything as far as publishing, um, any any nitty-gritty details you want to know about, you can always ask away. And once again, our schedule looks like we have Ben Stoddard's novel out, Drowned Secrets, in the, in the summer. Later this year, we have Mark DeSantis' novel, Nature's Night. Next year, we have... Claws on the Plane by James Dunbar, and we have C.L. Werner's big novel that I cannot say too much about, um, as well as some other ones that you know we're still working on the details of. So that's about it for me. You're underselling Clint's contribution here. So I, I believe that's a trilogy? It is a trilogy. I, 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 there is so much I can say, but not a lot I'm allowed to say right now, just because we... Uh, He's working very closely with Mantic about getting a very building out the history of Mantica. That's all I can say. Not allowed to say anything else. Legal obligations, yet, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. You've said too much already. So, hey, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> but, hey, we appreciate you on the show. And, you know, just for you, uh, have you seen those little Wing Tassar halfling models that are going to be coming out? No. Who's putting those out? Westphalia Miniatures. They're not out yet, but I will send you a picture of them. They are super cool, and they will be all over my uh, Rordia army. I am waiting for those guys to come out. They are really cool. Brandon, I will send you a picture. Awesome. Kawi <laughs> has really hit it out of the park with these, man. I cannot wait for them to hit the hit the sound. And, you know, hey, you know, that'll be your next army. Uh, Rordia army full of winged hussars. Hey, don't give me any ideas. I'll pitch an idea to Mantic. I, I know they don't want a, ma a halfling army right now, but you know, with that type of that type of mentality, I don't know. Maybe I can work something going forward. There you go. Hey, that's also a novel idea. So. Yep. Yep. 
<laughs> Very cool. All right. And for myself, hey, you know, always got to give a shout out to easyarmy.com. Can you spot Blaster on the page? Easyarmy.com. You got to love him. So if you got a donation or anything else like that you want to share with Greg, please go ahead and do that. Of course, the Army section, which we didn't have today, but the Army section on the Narrative Workshop is powered by EasyArmy.com. And uh, now I'm just going to give a shout out to the After Dark community. I know Brandon has joined us, so we're going to try to help him get those Basileans painted. So, uh, But a uh, big shout out to everybody. We are in a weird transition phase going from what I thought was very, very ex- exciting and very accessible times on Google Hangouts. And we're now over on Discord. And it is, in my opinion, Cricket City over there. So... Uh, I the one chat that we have uh, on Messenger is really strong, but and the Facebook page, but uh, it seems like the Hangouts have dropped off a bit since we lost Google Hangouts. So I am going to encourage everybody to sign up for the Discord. Uh, you can find that over on the After Dark Facebook page put up by Kevin Von Felt, and you can get that. Join us over there. I have been painting in the mornings now because my wife is staying up late, the kids are staying up, and they're driving me bananas, and I cannot get any painting time. Everybody needs dad, unfortunately. So I am now waking up early in the morning and trying to at least get in a half an hour of painting in the morning. Did it every day last week but one, so I'm very happy about that. And i actually making some progress, so I believe today I am going to finish off the basing on my Forces of Nature 1,000-point army, and that will be done, and then I will be looking at my next project. So very, very exciting. I'm thinking about doing those halflings, but Rob's already doing halflings. i got to do something different, so... <laughs> there you go. Alright, well again, thank you gentlemen both for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. And Brandon, why don't you go ahead and take us out. And remember, until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.